0: Throughout the season of Lent this year, we'll be hearing from people sharing a bit of their own personal stories as well as scriptures from the Gospels which are meaningful to them and uh, highlight the work of Jesus. Uh, We, in our weekend sermons during this season, are also diving into the Gospels. So these evenings go hand in hand with that. And tonight uh, it's an honor to introduce you. um, Our speaker is going to be giving his personal testimony. Jesse Um, you know, Jesse almost needs no introduction around here. He's a, he's a staple around Pathfinder. Um, he serves on our tech team on Sunday mornings, uh, on the weekends. Uh, and then as well with our next-gen ministries. Um, he's everyone's favorite, most interesting man in the room. So uh, would we welcome Jesse Sloan for us at this time, please. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to have to start out and apologize. I, I decided to develop some allergies yesterday. I don't know, the 70-degree day on Monday here kind of did me in. So I uh, apologize for that. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here tonight. Thanks for coming. Um, I guess tell you, I want to start to tell you a little bit about myself. AJ introduced me. But um, I'm better known for some of my associations at church than what I actually do. And uh, one of my best associations is right here on the front row. It's my wonderful wife, Tiffany Sloan. Please give her a round of applause. She deserves it. <clears throat> We've been married almost 21 years and uh, definitely needs uh, a lot of round of applause for that. Uh, but you may also know me from my sons, Judah and Micah. Judah plays guitar. He sings on the weekends. Uh, they're involved in youth and ministry things as well. So, um, so yeah, you, you may, may know me a little bit better if you know those folks. I was actually introducing myself to uh, some folks in the lobby. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know your wife. Oh, yeah, I know your son. I'm like, and that's when you know you're no longer cool right? When people know you better by your kids than they do by what you actually do. So um, my wife and my family and I moved here to St. Louis uh, about four years ago from North Carolina. So, and uh, we have four children. Um, no, that, that's not right. We have three children. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, no, we have two kids. I always get this wrong. When people ask me how many kids I have, I, I struggle with this question. But I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. So let me tell you a little bit more about myself. So um, tell you about my background, my spiritual journey. Uh, I grew up in uh, a very large rural Southern Baptist church. So if you pick up on any of the Southern accent, I am a hick from the sticks and proud of it. That's okay. My neck's a little bit red when you pull the collar down and it's all good. So y'all come on back, you know. So um, if that comes out, I apologize tonight. But... Uh, my, mom, my mother and my father divorced when we were young. And my she took my brother and myself, and we moved in with her mom and grew up in the church. And that's where really my foundation for my spiritual life kind of developed. That's where I kind of got the understanding of who I uh, was and who, who in Christ and who God was and my relationship. And those things started. And the funny thing is, growing up Southern Baptist, <clears throat> you go to church every Wednesday. Like, this is, this is kind of normal to me, you know. Uh, you know, you don't just come to church on Wednesdays during Lent. It's uh, twice on Sunday and every Wednesday, right? And if not, your name ends up on the prayer list uh, until you return to church. So, uh, But this is kind of back to the roots being here on Wednesday. But thanks, I just want to say thanks for letting me share a little bit of my story and my background with you. <clears throat> I have a lot of experiences uh, through my spiritual journey and my faith. But the one specifically I'm going to talk about tonight started about nine years ago. But before I do that, i got to do the scripture reading. So... All right, so if uh, we got the scripture up on the screen, there we go. All right, the scripture tonight comes from John sixteen thirty-two and thirty-three. It Says, "Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have struggles, but take heart, I have overcome the world." So I'll get back to that scripture here in just a little bit. Uh, as it relates to the story. And like I said, this story kind of starts nine years ago. Nine years ago, we had uh, Judah and Micah, they were real little in elementary, We were very involved in our church back in North Carolina, doing different ministries. Uh, and, you know, we we're trying to live out our faith like a lot of people, like figuring out how to do that. Do that. And one of the things that um, we felt called to do by God was to adopt. And why not? Because James 1.27 says, true religion is this, to care for orphans and widows in their need, right? And that's what I believe. If I say I believe something, then should I not act on that belief? Because what is your beliefs if you don't act on them? They're just good thoughts, right? So feeling called uh, by God and believing in the scriptures uh, and also feeling like we are in the right place where who we were. And we didn't, we didn't seek to adopt for reasons other people adopt. We didn't have any problems having biological children. Uh, we didn't feel... The need necessarily to have a very expansive family. Um, It wasn't a relation, you know, a family relation or kinship relationship that was a need for adopting. Uh, We felt like God had put us in the position and positioned us with our family and our ability to share His love with others and expand our family and bring in kids who have lost that, have lost that sense of family, have not, have lost the ability to have a mom and dad. So we wanted to be that and we were ready to answer that call. And so in 2014, we welcomed two girls' sisters into our family, ages two and five. So we are no longer a family of four and now a family of six. My daughters had found their forever family. Right? Maybe. And don't, you know, I don't want to say that we we went into this blind. So we didn't just kind of on a whim go into this and say, hey, you know, let's adopt. And the next day, we we brought in kids in our family. We we did what you should do. We educated ourselves. We read a lot of books. We went to seminars. We were state certified as foster parents. We fostered several kids. Uh, we even made sure that we had the right support system uh, between our family and our small group and the folks around us. We set up a support system that we knew would be there for us in need because we had no illusions this was going to be easy. We knew it was going to be hard. We we understood what kids out of the foster care system have faced. So we were like, well, we've got all these things in place, and with God's help, we can do this, right? There's nothing that God would put us into that we weren't prepared for. Right. (laughs) If we had only known what we know now. so. So getting back to the question I started out with and had a little hard time about how many kids we have, it's always hard when people come up and ask me, well, how many kids do you have? Um, and the reason why is because shortly before moving to St. Louis four years ago, we had to give up parental rights for our daughter. And not long ago, my youngest daughter had to be removed from our home and is now awarded the state of Missouri, living in foster homes because the environment in our home became too dangerous. We couldn't, couldn't have her there anymore. Very much the same situation with her older sister. So what happened, right? Like this isn't the way things are supposed to go. So, well, the first couple years we knew were hard, right? And they were, we were prepared for that, but we we thought, hey, we're educated. We got the support system. God's there and he's got us. And after the first year of it being really hard, then it got really dangerous. See, when kids come out of hard places, they learn how to survive. All they know is fight or flight, right? So for, to eat, to breathe, to avoid getting abused or whatever. And, and when you remove kids that experience early childhood trauma from that, they don't just immediately recognize that they're now safe, that everything's okay. And they're like, oh, thank you. That's, that's not the way it works. A lot of times, they, and sometimes, even in extreme cases, they have a very hard time realizing the environment they're living in and the people that are taking care of them are there to help them. They're so sure that it's not real that they sabotage that environment. They intentionally make it unsafe because that's what they know the most. So our home no longer was a safe place for my wife and my sons. Our home had become a battlefield to survive. So what do you do when you step out of faith, on faith and follow God's calling, right? You know, you, uh, you, you answer the call to love your neighbor, to follow his word, word, and you think you're doing the right thing. And what you did in faith tears apart the ones you love the most. What do you do? Uh, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross... And follow me. So for whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And growing up in church, I knew this verse, I knew it very well. I I accepted this verse when I accepted to be a Christian, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna follow Christ, and that's okay. Because if it costs me my life and I have to lay down my life for for Christ's call, then, then I'm I'm willing to do that. What I didn't know in accepting. That calling and that falling was that the, cro- the cross that I may be picking up and bearing might be my wife's, might be my sons', or it could be my daughter's. So how do you choose, right? How do you decide who's worth saving in those situations? See, I promise to love. These girls, like they were my own, and they were in our forever family, just like they were Judah and Micah. And I promised to love my wife and serve her like Christ loves the church. I promised to follow Jesus and love others. All these promises, it's hard. It was hard because I didn't think any of them would ever become opposing forces. But here I was, faced with either keeping the promises to my girl and girls and breaking the promises to my wife, or breaking my promises to protect my sons or breaking my promises to Jesus by not protecting my wife by or by giving up on the calling and what I felt like hey you don't back out when you when you sign up to do something you do it all the way all right so which promise do I give up you know if I break the promise to them, the girls because I promised and I looked them in the eyes and said you're in our, you're in our forever family the forever family right what happens when it's not forever so there I was in a lose-lose situation, but how? Hadn't God promised to take care of me and provide for me? Isn't that, what, isn't that what I hear? Doesn't God want these girls to grow up in a loving family and a loving home? Doesn't he want them to be part of a family? This couldn't be what God wants to happen, right? So I did what you're supposed to do as a Christian. I prayed, and I prayed, and I waited, and I waited, and at the darkest, deepest, most desperate moment that we had with our family, and the moment only God could rescue, out of that, uh, rescue us out of that situation, when we needed him the absolute most, he didn't show up. I didn't see him. We weren't rescued. It didn't end well. We weren't expecting that, right? God always shows up. That's what you hear, right? The precious moments little stories, I'm here to tell you that's not always the way it works out. Wait, Jesse, wait, wait, wait. God's not done with you yet, right? I know that's what some of you are saying. God's not done with your story. There's something good in that story. You just don't know it. You're not there yet. Maybe. I don't know. I'm sure we want to believe that, Right? I mean, we want to feel like the struggle and the pain and the hurt and everything we went through has to mean something for our lives, right? Because if it doesn't mean anything, what was it worth? What was all the sacrifice worth? It's got to mean something. But the truth is, I don't know. I don't know if it does or not. It may not. And see, the thing God revealed to me about who He is is that He didn't put me in charge of the outcome of my faithfulness. See, I'm in sales, I've been in sales for 20 years, I joke around, I said, like, I never planned to go in sales. Who plans to go in sales, right? I mean, you just kind of end up in necessity in the sales. But one of the things in sales that you're responsible for is you're responsible for results. You gotta make results happen. And here I was in this situation where I couldn't make results happen, and God revealed to me, that's not your job. See, God didn't ask me my opinion of the situation. God didn't involve me in the plan of how this was going to work out. And like Job says, who am I to question the one that hung the stars and the moon? But in that moment, I realized God didn't stop being God just because he didn't rescue me, right? Just because he didn't show up when things were at their worst. Kind of like in the scripture says, that we read tonight, things are messy and things are hard. See, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was telling them what was going to come from, from, in verse 32, he said, hey, this kingdom is coming, everybody's going to be scattered, you're going to leave me alone, but I'm not alone. He's like, I'm telling you this is going to happen, that you're, you're going to have struggles in this world. But he said, I've said these things so that you'll understand and have peace and that I've overcome this world. He said, take heart. And why a lot of times we like to think the story ends with, God giving us 10 times the blessings of the things we lost. That's not always the case. It doesn't always work that way. But it doesn't change who he is. You see, shortly after Jesus talking to his disciples in that scripture, his friend betrayed him and he beat him. He was beaten and killed shortly after that. After shortly telling his disciples, take heart, be at peace, don't worry, it's going to be okay. He was beaten and killed. See, Jesus shows us, he shows me, that he's the only true standard for which we measure love. He's love's true sacrifice. See, when Jesus died on the cross for me, God the Father let that happen. Jesus' Father created the tree that Jesus hung on. He gave life to the men that beat him and murdered him. God the Father sacrificed his son for me. See, God gave up his parental rights to protect his son, and in doing so, he signed his death warrant. I got some statistics I want to share with you about foster care, and maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. But if you don't know, some of these statistics can be a little bit staggering. Kids that, and specifically girls that age out of the foster care system, 58% of them only finish high school. One out of five become homeless shortly after leaving the foster care system. Over half of all the girls that age out of foster care are arrested within six years. Girls that age out of foster care are more likely to end up addicted to drugs, pregnant, outside of marriage, and die an early death. I knew this. I knew this four years ago. And The day I signed over the parental rights for my daughter, I felt like I was signing her death warrant. Giving her back to a system that I knew was not a high likelihood of her success or even her survival. I don't wish this experience on anybody. You know, I don't want anybody to have to experience the things We experience, or my girls experience, or my sons. But my message is simple if you do, God's still God. And I choose to follow Him no matter what. Because Jesus taught me what love really is, He showed me what love really looks like. See, I pray that God helps me to love that way. To love like Jesus. Even when it's hard. Even when it's messy. Even when I don't want to. Even when it costs me everything. I hope I love like Jesus. You know the scripture that says no greater love does man have than when he lays down his life for his friend. I would test that. I would test that no greater love does someone have when they're willing to lay down the life of one of their loved ones for someone else? Would you sacrifice your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter for me? You might be willing to give your life, but would you give the life of your child? That's what God did. That's how God showed me how much he loves me. And even though The walk is painful, and there are struggles. Jesus told his disciples, don't worry. I've overcome all that. So why are we still surprised when it happens? Why do we doubt God when it happens to us? Why don't we find the peace that he talks about? I encourage you to remember that Jesus has overcome. His love is the most precious thing this world has to offer. And because of that, I will always We just thank Jesse for sharing his story.